Listener Production. Hi, I'm Margie Hartley, and welcome to Rebuilding Australia, Our Mindset. What we've seen and experienced during the 2020 bushfires has challenged our thinking, and for some, created a sense of hopelessness when it comes to our future here in Australia. So in this series, I've invited some of Australia's top psychologists and mental health experts into the studio to help guide us through how to deal with any emotions and feelings we might be feeling in relation to the bushfire. Bushfires are by nature deeply unpredictable. How do we really think, feel and act when things aren't necessarily able to be controlled by us? So to help navigate this, Jackie Manning has come in. Jackie is the friendly psychologist. Her practical, insightful tips have helped thousands of people. Jackie, it's great to see you and thanks for helping talk about unpredictability today. Thanks, Maggie. So let's just start with the obvious. When we're faced with unpredictability and things that we don't even know what may or may not happen, but there's an air of anxiety that comes with something that has happened, how do we actually reconcile that in our brains and our hearts? Yeah, it's, it's really difficult because our brains, particularly our brains and our body, have a physiological response to perceived danger. And in many cases in our modern world, those dangers aren't actually real. So it's things like looming deadlines and traffic jams and things like that. But in the case of the bushfires, of course, there is a real danger there. And with these bushfires specifically, it's really the impact has travelled far and wide. So in many cities, which, you know, they're not actually in danger of being burnt, but the air quality has been so bad. We didn't see blue sky in Sydney for something like six weeks. And I found myself physiologically responding to that feeling just uneasy, this low-level anxiety. But when you're in the thick of it, that anxiety can really spike. So can you just help me understand, what do you describe low-level anxiety as feeling and looking like? That feeling of unease and that feeling of perhaps being more watchful than normal. Our brain responds to different triggers as well. So some sometimes that frontal lobe part of your brain that does your cognitive thinking and problem solving and all those things we use in our daily life, the activity in that part of our brain can diminish when we're in an anxious state. And so people can describe feeling quite foggy or quite disconnected from from their routines and their what they need to do. And I think that's been true of many people that I've talked to. There's this drive to know all the information we can which is trying to assume a level of control, which is understandable. But in fact, as you say, bushfires are notoriously unpredictable. And in reality, these bushfires have been, have been out of control mm. for many, many weeks. So we can experience, even if we're not in danger, low levels of anxiety and anxiety about what may happen. Yes. So even if it's unlikely to happen, as you said. Yeah, and, and the impact of this one too, you know, I've got two primary school children, they're really worried about the, the wildlife and nature, as am I. There's been a lot of loss through these fires and it's really devastatingly sad, not just for the communities that have experienced it, but for all of us because we're all connected to, to this land and to the nature of this land and there's been such a lot of loss and they're worried that species like koalas are going to become extinct and normally as a parent, 
or as an adult, you go, no, that, that's unlikely. Whereas I just don't know mm. in this case. Mm. So how do you answer that? We were talking about it this morning and we talk about trying to do things that might help. So they want to raise money and we have donated money to the Port Macquarie Koala Hospital and things like that and just trying to take some positive actions because it's better to do that than do nothing. So is that about feeling like you have agency or some control in assisting a terrible situation? I think that's partly it. And I think partly there's that drive to help. Well, what can we do? We are generally safe. We're generally able to go about our daily lives, albeit lots of things got cancelled last year, but they weren't big things. They weren't okay. They weren't a big deal. So I think, you know, we are in a position where we can think a bit more creatively about what, what can we do. So you and I are talking about sitting here in the city and not actually being in real and present danger, yet still feeling a sense of anxiety about the unpredictability of what might happen. How do people who are living in areas that are close to the bush and have bushfires as a real and present danger, how do they deal with the unpredictability of an event that they can't control? Some people live alone in, in regional areas, but this is a case for reaching out to your neighbours, to your friends that you know. And I think the communities do that really well because there's a sense of safety in numbers and we're primarily programmed for that. So to not hesitate in reaching out to those around you for to talk or just to be. Sometimes you're too tired to talk or too exhausted to talk, but the presence of another person can be calming. To I really encourage, I mean, I think anxiety is prevalent in our world for many, many reasons. And so I think developing some strategies to help your body deal with anxiety is important. And if people have time and have the ability to practice these, they can be simple things like spending a minute or so, perhaps when you're in the bathroom or something, practicing some deep breathing. Your body can't be stressed and relaxed. It can't have the stress response and be relaxed at the same time. So practicing small snippets of relaxation, which is you know quite an impossible ask when you're actually in the thick of it, but if it's safe to do so, to try and get into those routines to to find something that might make you feel endorphins or some feel-good chemicals like your favourite music or something, pat the dog, you know, like a lot of these people have animals as well. So, you know, to spend some time allowing yourself to stop and to breathe, even if that's just for five minutes out of your day, it's something that's going to help your physiology calm down. Mm, that's, that's, that's interesting. So it often manifests physically mm. before you're cognitively aware that you might be anxious. Yes, our, our brains react so quickly. There's mm. a part of your brain called the amygdala and that's mm. our fight or, that sets off the fight or flight response. So are you aware of what the fight or flight response is? So it's an ancient response that's designed to keep us safe. And mm. so your amygdala will set off stress signals throughout your brain and your body and you could, I even encourage clients sometimes to have a chat with their amygdala to tell their brain, okay, thank you for the warning signal. I've got this. I'm going to do X, Y and Z to today and I can do that. I can achieve that. It's a little bit like, you know, if you're in your kitchen and your smoke alarm goes off, whether you've burnt toast or whether your house is actually on fire, that's what your amygdala does. It just sets the signal off. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't know if it's a real threat or not. So if you are in a situation where your property is actually safe and you can, you don't have to run, have a little talk, to, talk yourself down, talk yourself 
Talk to your amygdala. Talk yeah. to that part of your brain. Okay, so talk to your amygdala. What might we see when our physical self is anxious or reacting to, in an anxious way? So you might get increased heart rate. You might find yourself getting headaches or even nauseous. Some people, um, the digestive system also slows down when we're under threat, uh, under that fight-flight um, system. So people can often report feeling sick or not wanting to eat. The, your sleep can be disrupted and over a period of time it can have a real effect on your cognitive abilities too. But even in that moment, you know, we talked earlier about feeling foggy in your brain when you're in that in that moment. So feeling this sense of what do I actually have to do can be really a real struggle if, mm. if your brain's on alert. So I'm often known to say awareness gives us a choice. And so if I'm hearing you correctly, it's around being tuned into both your physical self and also what your emotional or neurological self is telling you in any given moment. And there mightn't be a threat. No. So that's when you have to sort of assess all of those things and say, how am I going to respond to calm myself? That's right. And to even say those words, I'm safe now. So maybe you were in danger last night or a week ago and maybe your body's still telling you, you'd better keep, keep alert. That's actually a, probably quite a natural response to, to these fires. But to really repeat the words, you know, I'm safe now, everything's settled down, we're, we're okay, can be, a re- you can feel the calm go through your body when you talk like that. There was a story about a lady who had felt anxious for about three or four years at Christmas because that was a time when the fires had come through around her and her property and she used to stay in her property. And then one year she tells a story that she just realised that actually it would be really good for her to go away, to go to a holiday by the sea or somewhere else and not be at the property during that same time because it was just such a trigger mm. that she couldn't get over. Is that a valid response, just finding lots of different strategies to anything that may cause us anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that, you know, Christmas can be a stressful time in the best of circumstances. And it sounds to me like she had an element of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, which I'm not sure what if she sought help for, but I see nothing wrong with having a having a break from that, giving your body a chance to recalibrate, to break that pattern of anxiety. So she would have had the anticipation of Christmas. She would have had an increase in anxiety leading up to Christmas each year as well because when something's looming that we attach fear to, she would have had that ramping up pre-Christmas. Okay, so I think about things that are looming for me that aren't anything as dangerous as a bushfire or a difficult event. I'm often predicting what might happen Mm. and I'm telling a story or I'm thinking about the lots of options and hopefully not catastrophizing. (laughs) However, how can I, how can we anticipate how we might react if the worst would happen? Is that a good thing for us to think about? It can be. So, Uh, One of the properties of anxiety can be that we often overestimate the problem and we underestimate our resources to cope with it. So that I'm talking about in general terms there. And so that's something we, I talk through with clients sometimes is, well, look, let's just see what, how you are equipped to deal with that work situation or whatever. In the case of the bushfires, particularly this year, I think um, that it's still a worthwhile exercise to do, to try and anticipate, of course, in the practical terms, what do we need to do to protect, when do we need to go? Those kind of things all need to be worked out quite ahead of time, as ahead of time as you can. But the nature of the fires is they did change direction. They did do things, you know, they, they did things people weren't expecting and they went on for, for much longer than people were expecting. And so 
I think there's a level where people would have had to kind of accept, but we've done the best we can. We have prepared it as best we can. And it would be quite natural to be feeling worried and fearful around what was going to happen next. But because they've gone on for so long, I imagine there's a lot of people out there that are now in still quite a high state of anxiety, even though the fires have diminished somewhat with the rains we've had, where they still might need to really put in practice some of the, the techniques that I try and teach clients to physiologically discharge that that stress because it's it's all around stress hormones and it, they get stuck in your body. Is there anything apart from the breathing and the relaxing piece? Can I go out for a run? Yeah, running, physical work can be really good because it releases adrenaline and cortisol. I teach quite an unusual tool called tapping to all my clients, which is a basically an acupressure, self-applied acupressure. This might sound counterintuitive, but it can be quite useful to set a worry time of your day. So you pick a day, pick a time of the day that might be less hectic for you, maybe 4pm in the afternoon. So if you have anxious thoughts pop up in your mind, you say to yourself, or you even jot them down in your phone or on a piece of paper, I'll worry about that at four o'clock. And at four o'clock, you allow yourself half an hour to worry about all the things that might have accumulated in your mind that are needed to be worried about. What that does is it kind of puts a limit and a containment around the anxiety infiltrating every part of your day. Some people find that by the time they get to four o'clock, the thought's gone or they've resolved the issue. And so it gives people a sense of, um, yeah, just containment or limitation so they don't feel like their life's driven by all these anxious thoughts. And probably some perspective too once mm. they look back at something they've written down. I know that happens to me in the middle of the night. <laughs> Absolutely. Great point. It does. Because your brain, again, is attuned to go, okay, I've got to keep that thought alive because that thought's important. And so that's where people ruminate and the thought ticks around and around and around. By writing it down, A, you're discharging it a little bit from your system, but your brain also goes, okay, I don't need to hang on to that thought anymore. You've, you've put it there so I can down tools a little bit and relax. And that's a great strategy for people lying awake at night. It, nine times out of ten, it will always work. And I can imagine that worry time would be good to do with exercise so you're able to discharge some of those hormones. So it's interesting. Yeah. Is, is there a healthy way, apart from knowing those techniques, to prepare for the worst type of scenario? I don't, I don't even think anyone in Mallacoota even imagined w- what went down there. But is, there, is that worthwhile as a scenario planning to go, well, if the, what's the worst could, that could happen? Is there a healthy way to do that, Jackie? I think preparing for your loved ones around you is probably the most, the biggest priority. So what would we do? Do we have a place to go? Do we have a friend's house to, to get to? And if so, how would we get there to stick together, to not feel quite alone? Yes, I think in some of these areas there probably is value in, in preparing for the worst case scenario. The, the trick with that, though, is that like the person you referred to who every Christmas was worried even though their property was safe, it does keep that cycle of anxiety going. So it's important at some point in time to come into a more cognitive problem-solving state to go, well, is there a danger anymore? And if not, then we don't need to put energy into that anymore. Maybe we need to put energy into rebuilding or or building in a different way and, and making changes to how we lived. I don't know. Um, I haven't lived in the country myself, so I'm not quite sure of the logistics of it all. But, you know, perhaps on a property, there's a different part of the property where they might rebuild and those kind of things. So it's finding that balance between not using up all your resources and energy, and by that I mean emotional and physical energy, 
into thinking the worst will happen. But having some preparation, an idea of what might happen and an exit strategy can be a useful way for people to feel, okay, well, that's what I will do if something goes wrong. I'm prepared Mm. in some way. Okay, so hope. I know that if I feel hopeless about a future event, that it's very hard for me to enact any active goal setting or change. I'm very limited in my motivation. Mm. How do we stay hopeful in unpredictable times? I think when you've been through something like the fires, I think there's a period of grief that needs to be um, allowed. And so how long that grief will last, I don't know. So it can be very difficult if someone hears, well, chin up, you know, at least you're at least you got out alive kind of thing. People need to be allowed to grieve. They need to be allowed. People might have lost their house and all their possessions and their careers or whatever. So they need to have a period of time where they can feel down, sad, hopeless perhaps for, for a little while. And once they're through that period, somewhat, you know, grief is a unpredictable beast in itself. So how long that will take, nobody knows. To then perhaps even seek out help from from family, friends, a GP, perhaps, you know, seeking help from someone like myself to think about openings in their life, to think about new pathways they can start building, to realise that grief and those feelings of despair may come back. It may be a revolving door for a little while and that's okay. It's okay. We're human. So we have a whole range of emotions that we experience and sadness and hopelessness can be one of those. I think if it's going on for a period of months and years, that's problematic. And so, but to allow a period of weeks, perhaps months, to feel to feel your feelings is, it, from an emotional standpoint, is actually quite a healthy thing to do. Now, how that impacts on people in a practical sense, if they've got to get their farms together and things, I don't know that part of the mm. part of the equation. Is it useful for us to talk to ourselves in a way that helps us manage the unpredictability? Because when we prepare a script in our head? Self-talk can be really useful. So you can say some things that that feel more empowering and have more of an empowering energy, like I'm doing the best I can right in this minute. I'm doing X, Y and Z to help my property. I'm doing X, Y and Z to help my internal state. I will do the best I can. I will get through to the next hour. That's all I need to look to. So often with anxiety, people look to the future and they can't see the future. It's very, very far away. And so that provokes a level of worry. So perhaps people can chunk down the times in their day or their week as goals to to look towards. So if you're under immense pressure and immense stress, that might be as little as every 15 minutes. So saying to yourself at midday, it's okay, I'm feeling this worry, I'm observing this worry. So almost like distancing yourself from what you're experiencing, not denying it, but just saying, I'm observing, I'm feeling rather anxious, I'm going to sit down with a cup of tea and I'm going to review how I feel at quarter past 12. So to really try and manage your time in the sense of you don't have to have all the answers right now, you don't have to feel better right now, you just have to kind of breathe, get through and then see what happens at 12.15, and then you review again, and then you review again, and then you review again. So to get into that pattern can be quite helpful. So it's not permanent. It's an impermanence. Exactly. And you're not going to feel like this forever. This is a period of time in your life. And for many people, we're for a very good reason. It's actually a legitimate reason why they're feeling anxious. So um, 
to remind yourself that this isn't you, this is you responding to a situation. How can you respond in a way that's a bit easier for yourself? What can you do? Anything that people find helpful, so some people might find one or two of these strategies helpful, I would encourage them to write down on a piece of paper and stick it on the fridge or something as well because it's really too hard to think of those things that are soothing, that are self-soothing when you're in the thick of anxiety. So to have it visual is a good reminder. So being able to look forward to something, being hopeful about the Mm. possibilities and solutions that may be there, that would be, for me, I'd be thinking that people would need a broader perspective. And is that helpful? Yes, absolutely. And it can be something as small as perhaps a weekend away to a family's place or something like that. You know, it doesn't have to be a grand plan. They don't have to have all the answers just now. Small steps, you know. So having something in the calendar to look forward to is really important. Okay, great. Here's the tricky one. You said you mentioned something before about don't say some, this to somebody. Don't say, oh, get on with it or buck up or you'll be right. Um, what do we say to somebody who may have lost things or has been in direct danger from the fires? What do we say? We, first of all, just be with them and perhaps ask them, do they want to talk about it? What would they like to say? So we're programmed quite often to come up with the perfect bit of advice or thing to say that's going to help someone through any kind of loss and it's impossible but people find great comfort from connection and so even to say the words I really have no words to say what I'm feeling for you right now is there anything you'd like to talk about or do you just want me to make you a cup of tea just to really reach out is um, I think I hear that a lot from people who are going through grief for all sorts of reasons is they just want to have that comfort and that familiarity of someone with them. So we don't have to come up with any perfect words. And in fact, we often can't. So most of the time we can't. Mm. So just to really ask and check in. And I think sometimes people get great comfort from even things like text messages or just to say thinking of you and sending love with no expectations for a great conversation back, but just to that energy coming forth from another person that, that is thinking about them can be wind beneath people's wings, you know, can just keep them going for that that bit of time. Mm. So what do we need to do and say if we feel that we are sitting in an unpredictable situation and we might need more help? I think it's okay to reach out for help. I think sometimes people can be too self-reliant, but so what that means would be to just check in if you know your routine or how you're feeling is really out of character to talk to someone about that the best border call often is your GP because there's usually one that's quite accessible people can feel quite worried about talking to someone like myself because they think that they have to have a really huge problem or they have to be quite broken to talk to a psychologist, but you don't. Or that you're going to find something wrong with me that I didn't know was wrong with me. <laughs> well, we're human, so there's always going to be something with everybody, including myself. So it's... it's but for support. Just to reach out for support if that's mm. what you feel might, might benefit. And if you haven't tried it, then it's worth trying. Some people don't know what to say to a GP or someone else, but to ask their friends or their neighbours, how are you getting through this? What are, you, what are you doing to support yourself and maybe trying on some of those ideas? Because we don't have all the solutions. When you're in a situation, 
it's very hard to get perspective on that situation. So for the people living it, they're in it, they're in the really hard hard moments. So to look around perhaps at their neighbours or or communities or, or, I mean, professionals won't, they, sh- they shouldn't say they understand how they're feeling if they haven't been through it themselves. That would be a mistake, but they can be a person to to talk to and for the sufferers to unload to and to find some strategies that might be doable. And that might be having a shower every day, just having really small steps. So to be kind to themselves is really important as well. Mm. So I'm hearing in our conversation that it's really important to be aware of any changes, both in your physiology and your thinking, how you're feeling, your emotional responses to things. Mm. And then to really understand that it's pretty normal to have some of these things while you're in an unpredictable situation and then to seek support either from friends, family, communities or therapists and GPs. Who and are there online resources you. actually okay, yeah. there's, because there's a lot of good information out there and oftentimes people don't know what they're feeling is actually quite common and normal and to be expected. And so, you know, there's websites like Beyond Blue and there's grief websites and things which could be quite instructive to look at as well. So to reach out that way or that can be something people can can achieve and can do. Jackie, thank you so much for being with us today and helping us navigate through unpredictability. Thanks, Margie. Thanks for having me. Remember, Lifeline is there for you at whatever time you need. They are there 24 hours a day, ready to listen on their 13 Help Bushfire Recovery Line. Please call 134357. Rebuilding Australia, Our Mindset was presented by me, Margie Hartley, in collaboration with Beyond Blue and Lifeline. Audio production by Matt Nikolich, produced by Matt Dwyer, and executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Listener.